It is, let's see, Wednesday, the 14th of March, 2018, and this is the promotional malpractice live chat. And I know it looks nubs, but I've got great news for you, believe it or not. All right, so welcome, everyone. My name is Luke Thomas. I'm the host of this podcast. We'll go about mm, 86 minutes or so, give or take, talking about the latest and greatest in mixed martial arts. So here's what's going to happen. As you can see, I am not in my office. I'm not even in my makeshift office. I'm actually in my basement. Um, and so you can make, hear people outside doing this. Here's what's happening. I have, This will be the very last live chat that will ever be down here or even in my makeshift office. Every live chat starting next week will be in the brand new studio that I've been working on for months. Now, the reason why I'm not there today is because you can hear the gentleman here. We've got a lot of construction crews coming and going. We've got deliveries of a mattress coming. I bought a new bed for the new room upstairs. Um, so I just couldn't be up there without some kind of disruption. But I am beyond excited because from now on, after this, it's going to be in a room designated, uninterrupted for nothing but all of these broadcasts and everything else, Monday Morning Analyst, and then everything I do on my private YouTube channel. So I am. Uh, I apologize for the... Uh, the, the workspace here for the day, but it's just a temporary thing. And so thank you for bearing with me for that. Now, on today's live chat, we're going to get to UFC London. We're going to get to um, Rousey basically closing the door in her MMA career. We'll get to what else we're going to get to. We're going to get to um, Nick Newell's debate. Whatever you guys want to talk about, we'll get to that in the comment section where all the questions are, where this window is embedded in MMA fighting. Comments that turn green get priority, but not exclusivity. Now, I'm sure you can hear all the noise. In addition to that, I have a bit of an announcement for you. So many of you have emailed me. So many of you have messaged me. So many of you have written to me in one form or another saying that I should get a Patreon account. And I have resisted those attempts, not because there's anything wrong with them, but just because I want to have a different value proposition with my audience, if I can. One where I hope I get a uninterrupted studio going forward, and I will. I bought all the furniture and everything over the weekend. It's going to be great. But um, here's what I'm launching. This time next week, I am launching, I know this might sound a little weird, but hear me out on this, I am launching what appears to be a t-shirt company in the MMA and strength sports space. The guy who did my private logo, um, his name, uh, of course, is Judd, uh, and if you guys have ever seen it, I use it on all my stingers on my private YouTube channel. He's the one that did the promotional practice live chat shirts. We're going to be doing that, plus a Barbas t-shirt, plus actual independent designs. Some of things that happen in MMA, some MMA memes, just a lot of what you commonly understand as the MMA space. We believe that there is a giant market based on the fact that the uh, the apparel company business has been decimated and Reebok does really bad designs. I mean, there's no other way to put it. They do really bad designs, and he doesn't. He does incredible designs. So uh, those will all launch. Um, we're going to have five of them ready for you to go this time next week. Plus, on top of that, we're going to have a new one at least every month, if not more than that. So get ready, because this time next week, the store will be launched, and you can purchase them. And I am very confident in saying you're going to like a lot of what we have. Um, okay, so without further ado, let's get this going. And you can see I got my basement toaster. <laughs> I got my basement computers. These are not the ones I do the live chat with or anything else like that. These are just, you know like regular leftovers, old computers that I just haven't thrown away yet. Uh, okay, so let us get this going if we can. All right, and thank you for that, tolerating that preamble that I just gave you. 
All right. I got my Chipotle Coke Zero. All right, Rhonda, moving on from MMA is the first question. This person writes, I don't get all the negative comments on Rhonda saying she is done with MMA. She had a great run, got knocked off in the end, they all do, and is now doing something else that makes her happy. A lot of money at the same time. We should all be so lucky. It's just too bad she didn't have a better coach, but I think we won't see too much of old Eddie T anymore. I'm happy for her, and I think she has a lot of fun in the WWE. Now, someone writes below this, and this comment also turned green. Negativity is because rather than show any appreciation for the fans, she's focused completely on the haters, IMO. I think it's a little bit different than that. Um, I think she left MMA with a bit of a sour taste in everyone's mouth. Now, losing was not great necessarily for anyone's brand. It never really is. But she left not really talking to the fans. She left definitely not talking to the media. She left... And you're allowed to leave on your own terms. I mean, this is the same thing I say to everybody all the time. Everybody wants to be like, I want to be that guy who says whatever's on their mind, and I want to have the right to say it. Okay, you do have the right to say it. Or in the case of Rousey, you have the right not to talk to us. You have the right not to say anything. But there are consequences to that. Not because media is vengeful, just because it puts people in an odd space when you do that. You don't have to talk to us. You don't owe us anything. But the problem is the fan base might not judge you accordingly. They might say, why did you have to get a personal reporter, so to speak, in Ramona Shelburne. Why can't you just talk to us? And I know she put out stuff on Instagram and social media, but it didn't feel very connected to the fan base. And um, people are not going to view that nicely. They're just not. Now, in the end, I don't think that's any reason to abuse somebody, but we live in a world where you do those kinds of things and there are consequences after the fact. There's just no denying it. So... When you leave MMA, again, the losing streak didn't help, but I don't really think that's the real reason. The real reason to me, and I got all the dogs and cats down here, the real reason to me is because she left with a cold shoulder that she had shown everyone. She left deciding that she didn't need to speak to anybody other than Ramona Shelburne. She decided that when she walked away from MMA, it would never be under terms, and I'm sure she is at heart grateful, but it didn't, it didn't show Right. And so if it didn't show how much are people really able to detect it other than the ones who are super hardcore. I know plenty of people who are like really hardcore Rousey fans who left feeling very much not hung out to dry exactly, but that they were forgotten by her. Um, now, I'm not a fan of Ronda. I'm not a hater. Ronda. I'm just sort of in the middle on it. But, um, yeah, you want to do stuff like that. People are going to react negatively to it. This is the consequence. That's not an excuse for abuse, but it might help explain why the MMA audience is less than enthusiastic about her. Now, on the other hand, I think everyone should just let it go at this point, right? Because what is what are you, what are you holding on to? Some petty grievance about the fact that she didn't speak to us? I'm not saying you have to love her for it, but look, she's trying to find some happiness in this world. Um, not everybody gets a chance to do that. If you do, you're a jackass for trying to get in the way of somebody else's happiness. Um, especially when it's all above board and you guys know my feelings about professional wrestling. It's not for me, but if it makes her happy, then she should absolutely be able to do that without a particular amount of grievance from the fan bases. Here's the only thing I'm looking at. She didn't medal in judo. Oh, she did, but she didn't get the medal she wanted in judo. She just left it very much unhappy. She didn't have at least the stated ambitions that she wanted in MMA, even though she was an unbelievable success. And she left 
you know, a, a, a pile of ashes in her wake, so to speak. And now she's in WWE. I wonder if there'll be a pattern there. I wonder if at some point she'll reach some incredible high there and something will happen and it will turn. And then she'll just leave that in a pile of ashes too. Because to me, that she seems to be, I'm, you know, I want to armchair psychology too much, but she does seem to be running from some kind of inability to face um, the, re- the, the, the reality of defeat. Uh, but neither here nor there. And then everyone is debating about everyone else's green question here in the comment section. Y'all should leave that alone. According to the UFC, Ronda still the number 13 ranked band. She was number nine like just a couple of weeks ago at Bantamweight, if you can believe that. Someone says, reasons for negativity towards Ronda. She refused to acknowledge her loss to Holly and then to Nunes, correct? She refused to do media before the Nunes fight. I don't really think that's the end of the world. I think if she had won... It wouldn't have mattered so much, but that she lost and she didn't talk was really weird. Uh, She went on Saturday Night Live and couldn't even laugh at herself, correct? Basically just comes across as a complete spoiled brat who throws her toys out out of the pram whenever she doesn't get her own way. I'm going to assume that is a British word. Um, I mean, I think it's a bit strong of language, spoiled brat. That's not quite right, but somebody who has an inability to deal with um, criticism that stems from actual failure. Yeah, I think that actually does. That that probably is a relevant factor. Do you think Jones, John Jones, I'm assuming, if facing suspension, will try to get released from his contract and go to Bellator a la Crocop? What would be with the ramifications of such a move? Would the UFC even allow this to happen? What are your thoughts? Highly unlikely the UFC would ever let somebody like Jones go. They let Crocop go because I think they thought he was at the end of his run. Remember, he didn't. He wasn't doing all that well in the UFC at the end of his run there. Um, and Jones is a pay-per-view attraction. It would be, you know, from a business standpoint, foolish to even attempt such a thing. So, uh, no. But the interesting question there is what the athletic commissions would do in such an uh, unlikely event. My, it's hard to know. California was like, well, we're only going to revoke your license up until this point pending what USADA does. And if you tried to run around that, that wouldn't that wouldn't solve the issue. But how much would they tack on on top of that? Another six months, another year, right? Which would be what he would get probably from them anyway. My hunch is that Jones is going to get two years or less. Now, how much less? I don't know. So if they had just said, well, we're going to suspend you for a year and then somehow he got released then I could see a case where maybe he actually could circumvent the process. But number one, the chance of him being released is borderline zero. And because California left it up to USADA to do the actual suspension, him trying to circumvent that wouldn't work for them, in which case they wouldn't license him again, in which case Nevada wouldn't license him, in which case he could then go to Japan or something. But now we're talking about some truly uh, unlikely scenarios. Uh, Okay, most sadistic fighter and more. Hmm. What active, inactive fighters would you select for this list of most? Most modular fighter. Somebody who you could just build on top of and exchange and change. I'm going to go with Max Holloway on that one, but that's debatable. Most sadistic fighter. Maybe Jeremy Stevens. Mm. At a time, Vanderlei Silva. Right for it when he was out there stomping people in Japan, uh, so those are two good choices. 
most inspiring fighter. I mean, if it's not Frankie Edgar, I don't know who it is, right? Uh, most philosophical fighter, a lover of the wisdom that fighting can bring. You might be able to say Matt Horwich. You guys remember Matt Horwich? But he had he sort of trended off into like bizarre, you know, pseudo intellectual gobbledygook. But there was a time when he was, you know, trying to incorporate academic posturing about the world with insight drawn from fighting. Most intelligent fighter outside of the cage. Um, Brian Stan, maybe. Um, who was the guy? The, who was it? Um, the Ninja of Love? What was his name? Uh, kid who retired from the brain issues. Nick Nick Dennis, or Nick Denise, however you probably pronounce it. The Ninja of Love. Maybe him. I think he went on to a career in, in um, biology research. Who was the guy who was the uh, day trader... With UFC, who was complaining about fighter pay? Um, Josh John, uh, Cholish was a pretty smart guy. I think he went to a uh, Ivy League school as well. Um, so some of those guys, some of those guys probably fit the bill. Most dangerous fighter outside of the cage? I don't know Alexander Emelianenko for a time. Amar Sulaev. All these guys that have these connections to unsavory people. Most interesting fighter in the world? Shevchenko is a good choice. Competitive shooter, competitive dancer, competitive fighter. That's interesting, right? Um, uh, Ensign Inouye, I think to me, is highly interesting. Another guy you could sort of pick for philosophical. Has that famous quote, at least once in your life, train with the will to die. Um, that's a cool one. Uh, another Frank Shamrock, I think, is a really interesting guy. A lot of these guys are really interesting, to be honest. Uh, who's like a really interesting guy on the roster? Again, Shirtick is a good choice. Frank Shamrock. Um even Ken Shamrock's an interesting guy. I mean, the story's sort of well told at this point, but it's really interesting. Yeah, those are some good choices for you. Uh, well, uh, I'm not going over the Cynthia Calvillo suspension again. Y'all know what the story is there. And if you didn't see it, I talked about it on the last um, after the beat, so I can't do it anymore. It's just, it's just killing me. WWE stock, Luke. I don't know if you've noticed. I haven't, but WWE stock has been on a tear lately. Their market cap currently sits at $2.88 billion, still way short of what was paid for the UFC. How did the two compare economically? Jesus, that's a broad and big question. It appears to be that WME were way overpaid. Do you think the UFC will go to a subscriber model for all pay-per-view events the way the WWE has? It saves a ton of money by cutting out the pay-per-view people who charge a ton just to broadcast the events. Well, that's a very separate question. I have not paid attention. Um, there was a big discussion recently of um, Toys R Us. Did you guys see this? Toys R Us has is going to liquidate all their assets. Like it's not it's not bankruptcy. Like so we can stay in business. It is we're completely shuttering all locations and selling off all inventory and assets. Right? Because why? For a few reasons. Um, one is competition from the WalMarts and the Targets of the world. That's a big one. Another one is. The fact that the best buys of the world cut into that because kids are now more interested in, I mean, they're still interested in toys, obviously, but they're also interested in like consumer electronics as toys, like iPads, things like that. Um, they're interested in, um, so those are two big factors. Another one, of course, is the Amazonification of the economy, 
All right, so all of these are big factors. But if you look at that, they're still selling like 15, 20% of all toys in the country. So what happened? Why did they go out of business? It was in 2005, they decided to go private with a private equity leveraged buyout. What is a leveraged buyout? Without getting to the nitty gritty details, it is a buyout used with debt because there are ways in which you can get greater returns doing that. Now, in and of itself, a leveraged buyout is not a pernicious thing, right? Hilton did a leveraged buyout. They're doing just fine. Right. It does, it's not necessarily true that a leveraged buyout will result in um, death and despair. However, uh, it is often used by private equity firms. And it, it, given how many uh, happened around that time, 2005, 6, and 7, right before the economy crashed, um, it had incredibly devastating effects. When they did the leveraged buyout, I think right after around 2007, so right before the economy tanked, Remember, on a leveraged buyout, you don't have to pay off all the debt. You just have to pay down the uh, interest, principal uh, interest, and then pay. you can pay the debt load at the very end of the term of the loan, right? So you just resell again or something, however you want to pay that back. So when they did a leveraged buyout in 2007 or 2005, but then by 2007, just the debt load on the interest payments was 97% of operating profit, Okay. By the time that like 2000, I think 13 or 14 rolled around, they were 450 million each year in the hole, right? So the idea was they did a 6.6, the purchase was 6.6 billion for Toys R Us. They leveraged 5.3 billion in debt and then they put up 1.3 billion of their own private um, capital. It's a leveraged buyout, right? They used the leveraging of the 5.3 to make it happen. Now, I don't believe that the UFC purchase was a leveraged buyout by a typical um, definition, although it might be kind of close. But the point being is they did take on a lot of debt in order to finance the purchase. In fact, you recall that financial regulators were a little bit alarmed at how much they had perceived to be over leveraged in the purchase of the debt relative to the value of the assets. Now, we'll see ultimately if that comes true. Again, all they have to do is make payments on the, uh, the loan's interest. Um, so we'll see how all that all turns out. But the point being is I'm not comparing UFC to Toys R Us. I'm merely saying that there is something to be said about taking on a lot of debt to make a purchase. You can do that and it can be just fine. But sometimes these larger factors are out of your control where they had this incredible economic collapse in 2008 and it really just absolutely murdered them. They didn't stop really selling as many toys uh, in terms of the percentage of the share of the market, but it absolutely crushed them in terms of how to finance the debt. So It'll be interesting to see how they finance the debt. And when we talk about them financing the debt in the UFC, um, you can see how important that is. You can see how like matchmaking affects that notion because these bills, um, whatever the ultimate payments are due, are going to affect that, that perception. So just think of it that way. How it compares to WWE, I don't have enough information about WWE to make a, any kind of informed speculation about this at all. Um, but I do wonder about the leveraging that they took on in terms of the debt that now has to be financed. Uh, all right, pay-per-view rankings. Excuse me, pound-for-pound pound rankings. Hi, Luke. After your last few weeks explaining how the rankings contendership system is supposed to work, which I didn't actually understand before, so thanks for that. You're welcome. It makes me wonder, what's the point of the pound-for-pound pound rankings? If the rankings in all the divisions are supposed to establish the next contender in a contendership queue, what do the pound-for-pound pound rankings do? Nothing. They're just for fun. They don't have any real value beyond what they already do. Um, and look, because there's very little consensus about them and they're hard to do, people say, well, what's the point to them? The point is to do it for fun. The point is to try and think as an exercise, if somehow we could say all these people were the same weight, 
what could we then say about their abilities and who would really come out ahead? And it's so incredibly difficult to do that. In fact, it's in some ways even nonsensical, but it can be fun. Sometimes you can find a little bit of insight there. Sometimes it helps you have a greater understanding of what the components are of greatness and achievement in sport. Um, it can be valuable to an extent. It can be valuable to an extent. So mostly for fun, they're mostly meaningless, but nevertheless, you get the idea. It's just, it's just an exercise to, um, you know, sort a little bit, debate a little bit, ponder a little bit, fantasize a little bit, and then go about your day. Beyond that, they don't have any real actual value. All right. UFC 223, high Luke Ball as well. Well, except for the fact that I'm doing my live chat in my basement. Other than that, it's great. But it's the last one, goddammit. It is the last freaking one. I was wondering which fight you were looking forward to the most besides the two title fights at UFC 223. I am so glad you asked. Personally, this person writes, I'm looking forward to the Hanato Moicano versus Calvin Cater fight as the most besides the main event, but I'm also looking forward to the Zabit Megaman Sharapov return again. In fact, I would basically echo those two things. However, let's pull up the fight card for consideration just to be sure. So, of course, your two title fights, Habib Nurmagomedov versus Tony Ferguson, and then Rose Namajunas versus Ioana Jacek. right? Those are your two title fights. So, not including those, what do we have on the card? As I mentioned, or he has written, Hanato Moicano versus Calvin Cater. This is an excellent contest. Michael Chiesa versus Anthony Pettis. I feel like people are sleeping on that fight. Wonderful, wonderful uh, lightweight contest. And then, of course, your main card, Ally Quinta versus Paul Felder. That's your main card, folks. That is a baller of a main card. All right? Then you go to the prelim card. Uh, Double K, Kovalkiewicz taking on Felice Herrig. Ray Borg versus Brandon Moreno. Love that fight. Devin Clark versus Mike Rodriguez. And Evan Dunham versus Olivia Aubin Marcier. I would say from that one, I'm most excited about Borg versus Moreno, but Double K versus Herrig is a close second. Then on the prelim card, Joe Lazan taking on Chris Grutzemacher. Beck Rawlings taking on Ashley Evans-Smith. Alex Caceres taking on Artem Lobov. And then Zabit Megamed Sharapov taking Kyle Bokniak. For me, I have a very high opinion of Zabit Megamed Sharapov. Um, so I would put that as the top one that I'm interested in, but there's a lot of different ways you can go that. I know some of y'all love Artem to God. You might go that direction. Really up to you guys. Um, but for me, there's a lot to choose from. I would probably say I Quinta versus Felder, uh, and then Zabit Megamed Sharapov, then Kiesa Pettis, then Borg Moreno. But that's just my personal preference. Your mileage may, in fact, vary. Vary. My dogs are all bitter. All right. What to do with Merbek Tysimov? The fight I was looking forward to most, of course, was him versus Evan Dunham, which is now gone. Uh, do you think his visa issues will ever be resolved? I don't know. You know, who was it? Uh, Frodo Hasbalayev that they thought would have it resolved and they would have it resolved and they would have it resolved. And I don't think it ever did really get resolved. Some of these guys from Russia or of Chechen ancestry or Chechen residency, they have issues and I don't know what's going on. I don't know what the problem is with um, getting to the United States. I, 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 no one seems to be able to tell me what it is. You ask them, it's like, well, it could just be a mix up. Okay. But a mix up of what exactly are they saying? He's connected to a criminal element, some kind of, I don't know, 
um, religious uh, organization of some kind that is of ill repute? What what what, it, what exactly is the mix up here that I'm not understanding? And they never really give you a lot of information about it, so it's hard to make any firm conclusion other than these problems continue to be ongoing. They affect not just fighters in the UFC; they affect fighters um, of a wide variety of uh, organizations, of a wide variety of also well, a wide variety of backgrounds, but within that Russian world, a, a wide variety of backgrounds. And um, although it seems to be concentrated with guys with Chechen backgrounds, but neither here nor there. I don't know. I really, I really don't know. And this, the thing is, that guy can't advance unless he fights more ranked fighters. And some of those are American, some of those are Asian, uh, uh, some of those are European. But the majority of them at this point are American, and uh, some of the bigger names anyway. And so, how does he get that? Unless you know, you get you get a Donald Cowboy Cerrone who will fly to Poland. Okay, you're in luck. But if you don't get that, and who the hell wants to do that besides a maniac like Cowboy? I don't know what you're supposed to do. I don't know. I don't know what you do with a guy like that. It's really. Uh, unfortunate and there's no real obvious solution that i'm aware of other than you could pay somebody to go but i mean even then if, even if he gets the win how do you build on the win because you have to do that again someone else have to come do that again for you and again for you and again for you and if he really becomes a top lightweight you know they're going to want him to fight in vegas or new york or something and he's not going to be able to so it's a really horrible spot and i feel very very bad for him um How do you see Zabit versus Bokniak playing out? It'll be a striking contest until Zabit takes it down, and I think he will pound him out or choke him out. But we'll see. Matchups prevented by teammates. Hi, Luke. Are there any matchups you really like to see but are very unlikely to ever happen because the fighters are teammates? E.g., some form of Lati Gus Manawa would be really help clarify the light heavyweight contendership, but that's not likely to happen. Others I'd like to see are Kane, DC at heavyweight, and Edgar Alvarez at lightweight, and the others. Someone writes Woodley versus Askren. We could go back in time. The big one that everybody wanted was um, Fitch versus Koscheck. I know it's probably a dated reference, but that was a big one that was on the minds of many. Um, boy, there's probably a, a gazillion you could do at ATT, right? You could do Masvidal versus Colt Covington. Man, you could do a bunch of those. Um, that's another good one. Um, hmm, what else? Some of the guys, even in grappling, Tonin and uh, Cummings, or Cummings and um, what, what's the what's the guy? Um, Jesus, the name is now escapes me. Um, I don't know. Shields versus Tonin, or Shields versus Cummings, or something like that. Uh, Gordon Ryan, of course, they're in the, they're in the mix. Um, I'm trying to think. What's the the thing is is actually a bigger issue. What's well, a big issue in combat sports generally, but in in these tournaments, like I think, um, I forget what weight class it was, but JT Torres just won the Pan Ams, the IBJJF Pan Ams, and I think he closed out with uh, Michael Liera Jr. Boy, do I hate closeouts in jiu-jitsu. Wow, do I hate them, and I understand why they happen. And if you talk to those guys, they'll tell you you don't know what you're talking about and blah, blah, blah. I think it sucks for the sport. I think it sucks as a spectator. They might even argue it's not really a spectator sport. Well, then why are you making a spectate it? is what I would reply with. I think it sucks for jiu-jitsu. I think if you enter a competition bracket, the only reason why you can't continue is either because you're injured or you're not in the bracket. That's it, man. You you go out there and you compete. Um, and if you have to go against a teammate, well, then you go against a teammate. What's the harm, right? Go out there and put it on them. You guys do that in practice all the time anyway. 
I hate it. I absolutely hate it. I find the logic for it absurd. I've never really heard a, heard a good argument for it, but people are committed to this. Like it's a religious notion and it drives me kind of crazy. Not every team is like that, but most, um, that kind of kills me too. There's a lot of really cool matchups that I'd like to see, uh, on that competition circuit that you don't get to because what we, we believe in closeouts and tournaments. Yeah. Well, that's why there's five people in the stands in your sport. Someone says Alvarez versus Barboza would be a good one. Yep. GSP and McDonald would be a good one. Totally agree. All those would be good. I look with the announcement by Woodley of him trading Floyd in MMA. Did he say he was trading Floyd or that he offered to train Floyd? Right? Well, I didn't quite get the difference. Uh, that, that clarified, but whatever. I pay so little attention to this story. Y'all have no idea. The possibility of Mayweather fighting seems a bit more realistic. I guess Floyd is a lifetime combat professional, not a CM Punk. He's got years of experience judging distance, angles, and counterpunching. He wouldn't be the first pure striker to enter the octagon. How do you think he'd do with Woodley's help? Terribly. I think he would do terribly. I don't. I don't think he can. At forty years old, the idea that he can learn wrestling is fucking so stupid. It's the dumbest idea. Like here is a, a assortment of really, really stupid ideas. Ready? Number one, arming teachers. That has to be, as a litmus test in my life, um, one of the dumbest policy ideas ever offered with a straight face um, in the public domain. Uh, it is impossible to rationally justify. So that's right at the top there. Number two might be, what's another one? Oh, here's a great one. Let's throw people who use um, various forms of banned substances. Let's put them in jail in combat sports. Yeah, mass incarceration for clenbuterol. I, I can only think of one idea dumber than that one, and it's arming teachers in schools. And those are both, I mean, truly litmus tests of somebody who eats their own boogers or has ever read a book or has ever lived in the real world in any capacity whatsoever, is aware of any studies or how people act when faced with stressful situations like this, who has ever considered even remotely um, all of the ways in which that could uh, unravel into disaster, right? So those are two terrible ideas. And then right below that is that Floyd Mayweather at 40 years old could turn into some kind of a decent wrestler. No, he can't. No, he can't. He does not have the, probably the body for it anymore. Um, he is certainly so far past his prime, which is to say you couldn't make improvements, right? Even, even at 40 years old, if you take care of your body, you can, you can get better. The idea that he could wrestle at any kind of a level that would be anything worth paying money for on its own, irrespective of the Floyd Mayweather name, is a joke. It's a joke. Take it to the bathtub, wherever it is, and go drown that idea like it deserves to be. Watch it gasp for air as you hold the head of that idea underwater, and it kicks and screams and motions. Don't let it get any air. Finally drown that effort in the bathtub and then walk away and leave it there. That is what you need to do with this idea. Now, I'm not suggesting that you took it seriously or anyone else took it seriously. Maybe you're wondering in good faith. Trust me when I tell you it is one of the dumbest ideas potentially out there anywhere in the world um, for anything. Hey, maybe if I jump off this clip, a cliff and I flap my arms enough, I'll fly. Even that is a smarter idea than Floyd Mayweather could learn how to wrestle at a reasonable level at age 40. Even that one is better. No, 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 no. Uh, let's see. 
you guys don't believe how hard wrestling is, there's one way to figure this out. Very, very simple solution. Go do it. Go do it. There is a gym nearby, I guarantee you, in your city or nearby area that teaches some kind of wrestling. I'll see my cat. There's my cat. That's the Brock Lesnar of cats right there. Come here, dude. Hey, come here. Come here, stupid. Ah, can't get him. Come here. Come here. There he is. Y'all see this? Look at that face. See that face? See his nose right there? He's got a booger on it. Well, not a real booger. We call it a booger, but uh, his name is Moco, which means booger in Spanish. That cat, yeah, that cat beats the, I mean, this cat rules the roost. You got Barbas here? Come here, fool. Come here, fool. Show these people what's up. Tell them who beats your ass every day. It's that cat, isn't it? He shows you what time it is, doesn't he? Yes, he does. He beats up that dog. He beats up my other dog. Slaps them around, makes them get out of the way, takes over their food. I'm telling you, that cat is a beat. We got that one from the street. It shows. From the Kaje, fool. <laughs> All right. Uh, Arnold Strongman. I mean, this, how nubs is this live chat today? I mean, it's the nubbiest live chat of all time. I've got a cat in my sink. All right, let me look at this. It's just pathetic. <laughs> it's pathetic. This is like, I'm so excited about going to the studio next week because it's going to be like uninterrupted and it's, it's going to be great. But like, we had to like dip to the lowest level imaginable to get to someplace great. It is hysterical. What a stupid life I lead. All right. Arnold Strongman Classic. I may be the only person in the chat besides you who cares about this, but I'd love to hear your thoughts on the recent Arnold Strongman Classic. Bjornsson finally scored the major win he's been looking for for a while. Brian Shaw, the American, by the way, Thor Bjornsson is the uh, the mountain from Game of Thrones. Brian Shaw slipped a little. Is his time as a dominant player in the sport coming to an end? And did the presence of uh, the always entertaining Eddie Hall, uh, did you miss it as much as I did? Yes, yes, and yes. So um, look at that cat. Let's see. Whoop. There he goes. All right. Number one, Bjornsson. Finally scored a major win he's been looking for in a while. Yes. If you guys didn't know, he's won Europe's Strongest Man and other kinds of titles, but he had never really won any kind of major um, major title, like World's Strongest Man or an Arnold Classic. This is the biggest one of his career. Number two. <laughs> this is hilarious. Damn, fool. Are you really doing this today? Just sitting there eating that plant, huh? Tell you, man, feral animal. All right. Number two, Brian Shaw slipped a little as his time at dominant player in the sport coming to an end. Four-time world's strongest man, but I think he's 35, 36. So probably, and did you miss Eddie Hall? Yes, of course. Not only is he the world's best deadlifter, but uh, an incredible um, personality as well. All right. I mean, he's too distracting. Hold on a second. Come on. Come on. You're fucking it up, dog. Cat. All right. All right. All right. There we go. I mean, it's hilarious. Hilarious. Uh, extra refs outside the cage. To refs outside the cage. Considering the chaotic nature of MMA and that we're not going to get perfect referees anytime soon, would it be worth outsourcing some of the decision-making 
to referees outside the cage to catch things on a cage ref, excuse me, to catch things the cage ref misses. We see this in a lot of other sports, so why not in MMA? These outside refs could have instant replay available and either communicate with the ref directly via intercom or in between rounds. Then the informed ref could take points or even disqualify based on this information. I love it. One, another, there's a couple of ideas floating around to this to this effect. One is you can have another ref actually inside the cage, and you know how one like so if there's two fighters, you want the one ref kind of in between. Rather than occupying that space, what they would do is they would um, they would just be all the way at the other end of the cage. So if the fighters are here, they'd be here. They would kind of rotate like that a little bit, where you could not necessarily be on top of them, but have that a bit of a wider perspective, maybe in a secondary one. That's one way to go about this. Another one is to have the one outside the cage. I think it's absolutely essential. I think it's absolutely essential. We task MMA referees with a greater workload than we task boxing referees, right? Boxing is not an easier sport, but it is a more simplistic in the sense of you don't have all these various elements being thrust together and trying to find a coherent single rule set. There's a lot more you have to pay attention to. There's a lot more you have to get involved with to understand. Now, boxing requires a certain refinement of a more narrow skill set, and that also presents its own challenges. But I just think as an overall workload, MMA referees have to do more. So if that's the case, then maybe we should lighten that burden a little bit by giving them another referee to help with some of the calls, whether it's an instant replay call, whether it's a, did you see that? I saw this call, whether you didn't see him grab the fence. I did, or, or any number of ways in which they could be involved. I completely agree. Now, whether the commission has the money to pay those kinds of people, I don't know how you would go about making this a rule change. I don't know, because even if the ABC passed it, none of the state commissions are obligated to obey any of it. Again, we go back to that same problem. I brought it up two weeks ago on the MMA beat. Do you remember what it was? Everyone was saying, and it probably is true. Like, I don't know what the better answer was. At the time, running to regulation when Zufa bought the UFC from SEG seemed like not only a good idea, it seemed like the kind of idea necessary to keep the sport alive, to be quite honest. right? That's how critical it probably was. But now we are dealing with the after effects, which is that MMA rule sets clearly need evolution and tinkering and updating and everything else. And we don't have the ability to really do that. We have no ability to go to the said commission and get them to fix it. We have no ability to get them to update anything other than going piece by piece by piece by piece by piece. And that's not really an answer either. It's a really terrible spot we're in because we ran to regulation. We told the DMV, right? Here you go, DMV or government agency. You control all the rule sets and you'll do it state by state. How do you update that? So we can sit here and say, wow, it would be great to have another referee. I completely agree. I think it's really smart. I think the key insight, as I mentioned before, they have too much work to do. Lighten the load. Now, how do you go about making that happen? By the way, you don't. You don't. Um, so I don't know. Connor versus GSP. Hi, Luke. How are you? Killing it. Killing. Look at me. Killing the game, son. Most people seem to think that this fight will eventually happen at some stage. Connor versus GSP. 
People seem to be discussing how it will get booked, what weight it will be at, etc. But I hear very few journalists offering a breakdown of the actual fight. Being from Ireland, I'm a huge Conor McGregor fan, but I've also been watching MMA since 2005. And I'm under no illusions as to what his chances are against GSP. For me, GSP is the GOAT. In my opinion, if the fight goes past the first round, what chance Conor did have of winning drastically deteriorates. Could you do a breakdown of how you see this fight playing out if it did get booked, as I would consider you one of the more knowledgeable commentators of the game? Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Cheers for all your content. Well, cheers to you, my friend. By the way, I learned this from the Irish, I think maybe last year or two years ago, for all my American viewers out there, right? Saturday is St. Patrick's Day. The Irish tell me, and I believe them, they would be experts in this regard, that you can say St. Patrick's Day, or you can say Patty's Day, but what you can't say is St. Patty's Day. Apparently, that combo, St. Patty's Day, I don't quite understand why it's a no-no, but they all seem to swear up and down that that is not the way you do it. So, to my American viewers out there, if you are going to go out for Patty's Day on Saturday, enjoy yourself, drink responsibly, and take an Uber home, um, but be sure to not call it St. Patty's Day, which, by the way, I have bad news for the Irish. Almost everyone over here calls it St. Patty's Day. Like, if you're on the newscast, the newscast will say, and Saturday is St. Patrick's Day. They'll say the formal term for it. No one says Patty's Day here. Everyone either says St. Patrick's Day or St. Patty's Day, which I'm sorry, I know is terrible, but it's just the way we roll. Uh, okay. Let's do this. Da, 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 da. Um, so how would I see it going? Yes, I would see it going like every other contest. He would jab, cut angles. He would probably be on his feet, really out there trying to stay out of any kind of confrontation with Connor. And then by the second round or more, just be launching takedown after takedown after takedown. And I think he would get them. He could take down just about anybody in MMA. Um, and it would be it would be just like that. Uh, it would be kind of boring in a, to an extent or anticlimactic, depending on your perspective. But I don't see Connor having much of a shot against GSP. Um, if he was bigger and had better takedown defense, maybe. But insofar as what we know of him, not saying he couldn't win, not saying it's not possible, but unlikely. Nick Newell, hey Luke, do you think Newell signs with the UFC this year? Unfortunately, I don't. But if so, how do you think he, how far he can go? Well, let's say that he does. I don't know how far he can go. I did this my Monday morning analyst on this, and my my response was, it is pretty clear that if he keeps competing on the regional level, I'm not saying he'll win every time or he'll win forever, but it's pretty clear that he's way better than those guys by and large on that level. Now, of course, somebody else might come up through the ranks who will beat him, but it, suffice to say that it's fight in, fight out, not much of a challenge for him. That doesn't necessarily tell us a whole lot about how we'll do at the next level. You've seen guys who've had no, not much trouble in the regional level go up and, you know, struggle a little bit at the UFC level. But my sense is he'd at least win probably as much as he lost somewhere in that space. Um, he might surprise us one direction or the other. But to me, it's like there's just really not a very strong argument to keep him out. You can look at the Justin Gaethje loss and you can say that was bad, and it was bad. Um, and the other guys might be able to borrow a lot from what he was doing, and that's true. Um, but at the same time, not everyone's Justin Gaethje. He's better now. He's been working on his skills. He's not riddled with injuries. Um, yeah, I, I, I just don't see what the argument could be. And someone here notes, not an entirely separate question, but do you think the Shaquem Griffin, uh, him being drafted next month, will play a major role in the UFC being uh, willing to have a one-handed fighter? Now, Shaquem Griffin's a little bit different 
um, because he's just sort of missing the hand and maybe a part of the wrist or so. It's not really up to the forearm, which is a little bit different for old um, for old Nick Newell. So it's not it's not a apples to apples situation. But if you saw Shaquem Griffin at the combine, it's just a what what an incredible person he is and good athlete and excellent football player and everything else. And so this is the part part I've been saying over and over again. I don't understand what the downside is of signing Nick Newell. Like clearly World Series of Fighting, whatever their issues may have been as a business, it had nothing to do with Nick Newell losing to Justin Gaethje. So no one was horrified by it. No one, you know, no nobody died as a consequence. Uh, no one was morally upset. Um, it was just a guy losing. I think that's all the UFC would risk. And if he turns out to be better than we think, or at least, you know, as good as some of us hope he might be, UFC could get a lot of really good publicity from this. Like... I don't understand. You're you're like desperate for stars. And, you know, I think it's probably unlikely he could win a belt, Nick Newell, but stranger things have happened, I suppose. And in the meantime, you could earn yourself a lot of really good publicity. I just don't get it. I really, I really just don't get it. Um, not guarantee you he'd have success, but I can guarantee you as long as he stays in the regional level, he more or less will. And Shaquem Griffin, Shaquem Griffin, by the way, you know, have, using all these prosthetics to be able to grip the bar for the bench press. And I think he had like a, a sub. How, how fast was his 40? I think it was like a sub 4440. I mean, it's an absurd, absurd. Let's see, 40 time. What was it? 438. He ran a 438. I mean, a ridiculous level athlete. He's no, um, um, God, what was his name? Uh, Juan uh, Barkley, right? Well, it was his 40. Oh, Saquon Barkley, excuse me. He had a 440, but then he had like 29 reps in the bench press and then a 41-inch vertical leap, and he's 230 pounds. God, I mean, dumb athlete, dumb All right. Let's see. True or false? We don't do many of these these days, do we? True or false? Dana White steps down in 2019. False. Viacom sells Bellator to World to uh, WME by 2021. It's an interesting one. Um, false. Gustafson gets fights with Bones and or DC again. Because you put the or, I'll say true. Latifi fights for the light heavyweight title at least once in his career. False. Dana's Tuesday Night Contender Series produces a UFC champion by 2020. True. Brendan Schaub gets fired, gets fired from Showtime this year. False. Y'all seem to be real confused about how he is viewed by that company. Some of y'all, anyway. Ronda Rousey returns to the UFC once more. I'll say true against my better judgment. Because she didn't say never, and it's always possible she could come back for one. My hunch is that it would never happen, but wishful thinking. MVP versus Paul Daly never happens. I'll say true. Verdun beats Volkov this weekend. True. And Ganu KOs Lewis next. I'll say true. Who replaces Dana? To expand on the first part of this question, 
Who will possibly be Dana's eventual replacement? What's the likelihood that it is a former fighter? I used to think Chael was destined to replace Dana, but his involvement with Bellator and previous test failures make me believe he's far out of the running with how the direction of the UFC has been. My only guess is that Endeavor will bring on someone who most fans are unfamiliar with, probably. What are your thoughts on this? I know he's very devoted and involved with his new venture, but I'd like to think that Brian Stan would be a great fit for the company with both fight and business knowledge. Your thoughts? Yeah. I don't know. I don't think you want Brian Stan in that role. I don't think you want Brian Stan in that role. What promoter out there do you like? Which one do you like? Do you like Dana White? Most of you will probably say no. Do you like Bob Arum? No. Don King? No. Lou DiBella? Maybe a little bit. Scott Coker? Some of y'all probably split, but a lot of y'all don't. Like, who do you want? Who do you like as a promoter? Now, the KSW guys, maybe, but they're very little involved. I'm talking about, like, as a organization that produces a lot of fights and a lot of fighters. You don't really want a guy you like as that promoter because you're going to eventually stop liking them. That's not a role you can be in and be liked. It's like people are like, I don't like Malki Kawa. And I'm not here to tell you that Malki Kawa is the perfect manager or he hasn't done something dumb or, you know, objectionable because I'm sure he has. But his job is not to be liked by you or me. His job is to service his clients. And you can have a separate debate about whether he's done that. But people are always like, I can't stand that guy. Utterly irrelevant. Utterly irrelevant as a consideration. The question is, make the debate about what the debate's about. Has he, over the course of his career, done a good job for his various clients? And then, and then make, and then you can have you can grade that however you want. But that's the issue, not to be liked. The promoter is in a similar position. They're not there to be liked. The promoter is in a position to be there to do the job that the that the promotion needs. And sometimes that that means saying objectionable, contradictory, absurd, stupid indefensible things. So I wouldn't want Brian Stan in that role. I don't I don't think that's a good role for him because I don't think he'd be good in it because he is an upstanding guy. He's a smart guy, so he'd be good in that sense, but you get the idea. So no, I don't. I'm the, I don't want him in that role at all. Um I do think that WME is probably going to bring in somebody that nobody knows or that fans are, you know, reasonably unfamiliar with or something like that. Here's the thing about Dana White. I actually feel like people are like, oh, God, it's just so funny. When I was trying to criticize him six or seven years ago, no, more than that, Jesus, you know, 10 years ago, people were utterly resistant to any kind of criticism about him. Whatever he said was gospel. And if you go back, do you guys remember that tweet he sent me, however long ago it was? I was like, your, who, your opinion is who gives an F? Go back and read my original tweet about that the one he responded to. Now, it was sent to all promoters because I had watched a really bad Bellator event the night before, and then there was that UFC London card the day after. But the response to it was, or the, my initial tweet, rather, was like, MMA promoters, you need to stop having so many shows. Less is more. Please remember this. And then he responded to me on Twitter, right? Who won that debate? I, I would humbly submit to you that I did. Um, now I had to take a look, I had to eat an S sandwich on social media for a while. At the time, everyone was so in love with him, but I, I would argue that I came out on the right side of that debate. The point being is it just took a while for people to sour on him, but however much people might be soured on him as a personality or as a trustworthy figure, I do think that he has a good relationship with some of the larger media, um, outlets out there. I do think that he knows fighting for the most part, um, 
you can debate a little bit of that. To me, the biggest issue with him is not like, is there a liability for a guy who lashes out at media? Is there a guy, is there a liability for a guy who's says things that we make, we hate him for it. I don't really think that's true for a promoter. There's not I me. Mean, I guess there's a limit to all that, but it's not true for him. And it's not true for most promoters. Bob Aram's been saying insane things for 60 years and he's still here and he's doing a pretty good job. All things considered. To me, the issue is, is he the guy that can properly package the product? You know, if it's going to be his vision of things where, you know, we're still, and I know I keep bringing it up, but I, 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 I'm telling you, it's a big deal that the product feels tied to 2005. I don't think that's a coincidence that that's true and that White is still in the, as the president of the company. I think for a lot of reasons, you should keep him on. For a lot of reasons, he'd be better than some guy that WME brought in. But they've got to find a way to update the product with a modern sensibility. And I think probably if WME brought in a guy to do that, they would have all the things that Dana doesn't in that regard, but they'd have all the things that he doesn't on the positive side too. He doesn't, I don't think, have a sense of modernity um, and tying a product to it as such in the way that the NBA just does so deftly. Uh, somebody else might, but they would lose all those other things. So it's not so easy to get rid of Dana. You know, I've, we've butted heads a number of times, but I don't think you can just get rid of him. you got to find somebody that has a real keen sense for updating the product and that's somebody you don't mind thinking little of. And that's not an easy person to find. It's not. But people being like, oh, I would want Chael in that role. Well, get ready to hate Chael because that's what you're asking for. Someone says, I still think it could be Chael. It's not to say that Brian, Stan, or Chael couldn't do the job if they really wanted to. It's to say that they you would fundamentally transform your opinion about them. They'd be somebody new after the fact. Look, I wanted to ask you about the power of petitions in the UFC. What do you think about this method? I think it is a waste of time. Do you think the UFC would ever be responsive and more willing to make the changes we want to see if we had an online petition with a significant amount of signatures? Nope, sure don't. And do you know if this has ever been tried? No. There were social media rallies. Remember the rally for Mark Hunt that went nowhere? They didn't care about that. Um, and, of course, there was the Nick Diaz one, but that was for the White House. So that wasn't for the UFC specifically. I've been a fan since 2007, and I don't really remember any time when the MMA community ever rallied together and signed a petition asking for certain changes because that's not what we do. UFC Fight Night London versus Bellator 200. Are you surprised Bellator's London card is better? No. It's a Fight Pass card for the UFC. It's Bellator 200 for them. What fights on Bellator 200 are you most looking forward to? Ooh. MVP versus Rickles. Carvalho versus Musasi. I don't know anything about Aaron Chalmers, so I don't really care about that. I guess Crow Cop Nelson. Let me see who's on the rest of that card. Um... Let's see here. Let's see. Aaron Chalmers versus Ash Griffiths. Whatever. Michael Page versus David Rickles is okay. Phil Davis versus Linton Vassell. Crocop versus Nelson. Fine. And then Carvalho versus Musasi. Yeah, it's all right. It's all right. Nothing too crazy about to get it, but uh, that's, that's all right. 
Um, does it make sense to you that Bellator is putting this much effort into an international card? Uh, it does, which we talked about before. They're doing it to probably save on costs. Um, and they, you know, I think they want to explore any markets that have not been totally dominated by the UFC, which the UK and Europe generally, there's still, I think, a lot of room for growth there, which they want to be a part of. So I kind of get it, but it's just the tape delay thing is insane. Uh, RDA versus Woodley. Have you heard anything about this fight? I have not. I believe RDA is next in line, but what's the holdup? I believe that the shoulder rehab of Tyron Woodley takes some time. Talked about it a million times on this chat, y'all. Shoulders do not heal easily. They do not heal easily. Very, very, very difficult to heal. All right. There seem to be some serious issues with the UFC these days, and by addressing some of these issues, I think that many fans feel it would vastly improve their product. In a hypothetical world, if you had the power to change a few of these, what would you address first? Lack of a union. Different states using different rules. Weight cutting. Scoring and judging. Too many fight cards, which would then carry over to other problems involved. And then rankings. That's the way I would do it. That's the way I would do it. What fighters you've met in person are the most intimidating? It was friendly, but Dion, um, Deontay Wilder, big. Uh, most are very friendly, actually. Um, uh, I've always dealt with them when they're very, I mean, they might be a little bit hurts because they're cutting weight but i've never dealt with anybody like in a crazy scenario hmm. Let's see here we go transgender fighters y'all love these hi luke i saw the story about transgender fighter Anne variato winning her mma debut and it reminded me of this question what sex division should trans fighters fight in their transition sex or they're assigned at sex at birth. I know this question essentially pits two groups of people against each other. Uh, and no matter what, one group will be unhappy with the result. But I'm curious about your thoughts. Yeah, this is an interesting one. Um, here is uh, my sense about this. I don't feel like either side of this debate has a lot of really good answers. So uh, on the one hand, you have people who, you know, I mean, they can't clutch their pearls fast enough when there is uh, any kind of a transgender, um, let's say, male to female uh, athletic participant competing. So who was, um, let's see, hold on. There's one that I actually did see um, that really was a little bit weird. Uh, okay, so... The one that I know of is um, where I did see like there could be some problems was Laurel Hubbard. I believe she was a Kiwi uh, and was a man uh, and didn't transition until uh, her 30s and then competed in the master's division in women's weightlifting and I believe won the Commonwealth Games and I believe even placed like second or even maybe even first in the world in the uh, for the world championships that were in Anaheim. 
something about that just doesn't feel quite right. I, I don't I don't exactly have a particularly strong argument for it, but it certainly raises my alarm bells. However, there are other cases where uh, that kid in in uh, Texas was uh, transitioning to a boy while in high school and then asking to compete against the boys and the, and the school system would not let her. Um, this is to me a problem that is relatively easy to solve. Uh, I don't really know how much it, it matters to be up in arms about that. Now, this is a different scenario where we're going from female or male to female and then competing against another man. Um, so I think people are less outraged by it. My, 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 my basic point is this, and we went over this with Fallon Fox as well. I don't really feel like we really understand this issue. I think that it can vary based on athletic potentials of the men who transition. I think it can vary widely based on um, what kind of medicinal regimen they are in hastening that transition. I think it can vary widely based on when they start that process, what sport they're in. It seems to me that there is a ton of unknowns. I am totally okay and, and conceptually, I can very much justify, in theory, the idea that some of our suspicions will probably down the line be well justified with evidence that shows um, there are going to be a set of circumstances by which uh, we have allowed transgender athletic participation when we probably shouldn't have. Um, I'm perfectly willing to believe that is the case. I know that there are some guidelines that have been set down by the uh, Olympic Committee I know there's been some set down by the NCAA. I don't know how widely used these are. I don't know what the results have been enough to give you an accurate opinion. I feel like, number one, most people don't know this either and yet have very strong opinions about it without having really any information, which would not be exclusive to the transgender issue, but seems to be more widely revealed. They seem to have a stronger response to it with this, yet not having any information about it. I can admit to you up front, I don't have nearly enough information to make an accurate uh, depiction of things and to sort this issue in any kind of clarifying way, um, other than I do have some suspicions that in the case of Laurel Hubbard, I don't know, it just doesn't feel quite right. You know, to do it in your 30s, uh, yes, you're competing in the master's division, but nevertheless, there's a question about the fairness of the competition at that point. Um, so that's one I can I can say up front. Two is that I there it just needs to be called what it is. There is so much about chin stroking about fairness concerns and athletic competition, which is just camouflage for hostility to trans people. You see a lot of people out there. And I, look, I don't even know any trans people, to be honest. So this is not like a deeply personal to me. I don't know any of them, right? I don't. I mean, it's not, you're not going to affect anybody that I know or love uh, in a personal direct way. But I can just tell, you know, when you get these types who, it's like, well, um, I this is a... This is a fairness issue, and I can't believe this is happening. And again, I'm willing to believe, like in the cases of Laurel uh, Hubbard and others, there might be something to that, actually. And then they go and tweet these like incredibly hostile political commentators that they like, who have these insanely uh, uh, unscientific views about uh, the nature of trans people, um, about the nature of the uh, trans process, about the nature of gender and identity and... Um, Everything that would be involved with this. In other words, what they're really doing is they're using their trans hostility and they're letting it manifest itself with some kind of fairness concerns about athletic competition. Um, th these are total losers to me, and I don't really take their opinion seriously at all. You know, uh, there's nothing to be said about that. We can have a debate about the merits of this without devolving into some kind of bizarre worldview that you have 
about people's own um, either sexual orientation, self-identification, um, or their gender assignment, wherever you want to call it. And we can leave that aside and just ask whether or not this confers benefits or not, which is really the only salient point in this whole discussion to begin with. Uh, and again, I can believe it. I honestly can believe it. I don't, I don't know all the time. And in every case, I don't know. My guess is that we just don't have nearly enough information to make broad conclusions. I normally would not be somebody who would say we should go case by case, but I don't really know how else to do this. I, I, I the, the pro trans side, they have poor arguments and the anti trans side, they got poor arguments. None of them ever really proffer anything that stands out and says, wow, that's really quite true. Other than if you transition at a very young age, but you know, well before puberty, that there, that the notion of this conferring athletic benefit down the line seems hard to swallow. But then, of course, you raise a whole series of other ethical issues when those processes take place. So, to me, uh, I'm going to wait and see. And I know that doesn't do a lot of good because we're living in this world now where we have trans athletes and we're trying to establish guidelines. But I don't know enough about the issue, and I don't think anyone else really does. Sort of maybe a handful of people who are medical experts in this in this field. And just be on the lookout for somebody out there banging their fists down on the floor of Micah and ranting on YouTube like I'm doing um, and then declaring to you that this is, we can't believe how unfair this is for the sport. Dig a little deeper and see how they actually feel about trans people. And what you're really going to see, if you can just work backwards from it, is that where they start is hostility and then they want to build these other seemingly acceptable responses to it as a way to force some kind of discriminatory worldview on top of them. You know, I mean, go pound sand. Update on Megan Anderson. Uh, she's chirping for the cyborg fight that there seem to be indications that she's still dealing with personal issues and not really eligible to compete. Uh, you can hear my cat. Um, I do not know what the latest is on her. I have not paid attention to that story even a little bit. Even a little bit. Are there any fighters you'd particularly recommend for us to watch this weekend? Good question. Well, main event, right? That's always important. Um, Peter Sabota has made a lot of improvements. Um, Tom Dukenwall had that loss to... Well, Tom Dukenwall is going to fight Terry and Ware, two guys that lost to Cody Stamen. So both are in uh, need of a bit of a rebound. Um... Hakeem Dewadu is worth watching. It's about it. It's about it for me. Your mileage may vary. Uh, Brian Kelleher versus John Lineker. So this fight has just been announced. I think it's a great fight for both parties. Lineker will no doubt be a big favorite. But do you like Brian's chances in this fight if he wins? He has uh, to be number one contender, right? Defeating Barrow and Lineker back-to-back -back would be massive for him. Well, sort of, but there's still... I mean, Lineker, beating Lineker would be big, but there's still Marlon Marais out there. Man, what do you do with... Uh, let me pull up the rankings here. The other gentleman. Uh, Rafael Sunsau is still out there kind of floating around. I mean, I agree it'd be big. So you have Dillashaw as your champ, Garbrandt one, Cruz two, Sunsau three, Rivera four, Mirage five. Of course, they're going to fight. Lineker at six. Yeah, I wouldn't give him a title shot off that, but he would certainly be in that top five orbit at that point. And then you get a win over one of those guys, depending on how that sorts, and you would be there. So I'd still put him one more fight away, but man, it would be that would be absolutely huge.
Absolutely huge. Uh, could Sean Shelby take over from Dana? I don't think Sean Shelby has it in him to do the kind of public-facing part of that role. Have to talk to media all the time. and Nah. March Matness. With the NCAA wrestling tournament coming this week, will you be watching for any prospects or interesting techniques? No. I've told this story before. I'm going to tell it again. The NCAA uh, wrestling organ part of the organization, they don't deserve your patronage. Now, I'm not telling you not to watch. If you want to watch, watch. If you don't, I wouldn't judge you even a little bit. They are they are the dumbest people in America. And I know I've used that word a number of times to describe a wide-ranging uh, portion of the population. But the reality is um, they're really stupid. Um, they don't know. They they always be on the lookout on social media for the hashtag grow wrestling thing and laugh at it every time you see it. They don't know how to grow wrestling under any circumstance whatsoever. Everyone involved in that leadership is the most incompetent person available who could be there. You, you could swap them out with a janitorial staff who worked that venue and NCAA wrestling would be in a better position. And I have tried mightily to actually grow wrestling with mainstream media institutions. And I can tell you, it wasn't actually the media institutions that fought me on it. It was NCAA wrestling. So I was so soured on that experience. I found them to be so absurd and so unworthy of any attention that it actually, in my mind, turned a switch. And I don't really pay attention to it much anymore. I'll watch some. I might even prioritize the finals on Saturday via DVR or something. Um, but as I'm celebrating Patty's Day, I'm tuned out, man. I'm completely tuned out. And they did it to nobody but themselves. They, they, they are idiots. They are. They, I, you can. If you were in my shoes and you knew what I dealt with, you would laugh, laugh at the notion that they want to grow wrestling. No, they do not. They want to hold on to the populations that they already have because of they want to reward loyalty and tenure, even if that tenure uh, at the expense of a new audience means exactly the trade-off that they have to make. They are not worthy of your attention. If you still want to give it to them, enjoy yourself. But just know that they spit in your face. They they don't know how to grow wrestling if their lives depended on it. I'm going to get a napkin here. And so I have tuned out. Now, it will be interesting to see Kyle Snyder, if he can advance. Of course, he had that one loss this year. He had some other close calls. Um, but, yeah, I don't really pay attention to them anymore. And they that's, that is exactly what they deserve. Ah. All right. Sorry, my nose all of a sudden started running. Ooh, Sean O'Malley and his marijuana strain. Sean O'Malley admitted on the MMA Hour recently that he went to an after party where they unveiled his new marijuana strain. He said it is the best he's tried. Isn't this a potential problem with USADA's in-competition testing? Yes, of course. I agree with you that they don't have the data needed to test properly via blood sample, but they've penalized others or at least have aired their inadequate findings via media. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. But... um. This is the world we live in. So the fighters, it's up to them if they want to do something about that. People know my views on anti-doping, but one view that I would keep is if the fighters negotiated collectively 
their own adjustments to the anti-doping policy. And I don't think they would be overly substantial adjustments. But if they did, uh, I would have no problem with that because that is the one that they helped have a say in. They would help agree to. Um, and that would be one that over time they could evolve in keeping with the needs of modern medical science or the sport or their own interests. They couldn't decide by themselves, but they could at least have a substantial say. That, to me, is enough to back off. Uh, but until they do that, this is the reality of what they have to live through. All right. Let us go to the Twitter machine, because it is now 2.15. All right. Here we go. Perfect question. You've made it clear how you feel about USADA. What system would be the better fit in your opinion? I lean somewhere along the lines of testing, but removing things that serve little to no benefit, no more weed, whatever Machida was suspended for, and yada. So I think the I think the simplest answer um, would be the athletes have a, have a right to have a say, not total domination of the conversation, but have a right to participate in the shaping of any anti-doping policy. Remember, these are the guys who are all going to be bound by it. If all the competitors, or at least the majority of them in a democratic sense, if all the competitors believe that the rules should be amended in a particular direction, I'm not inclined to disagree too heavily. Um, I believe that Two things. Number one, athletes do have a right to participate in the anti-doping policies of the competitions in which they take place. And number two, there is a conversation that needs to happen in sports that is around the idea that pure prohibition of banned substances, A, doesn't work, and B, probably even if it did work in terms of stopping things, would not be ethically optimal. I think the better conversation to have, and we can't do this until people start dropping some of their old premises about this, is that medicinally there is a conversation to have about when you have this much of a window and you have that much of a injury load through the entire process of it that it seems a little bit cruel to deny potential medicinal help that could now is perceived as performance enhancing, but really only brings them sort of back to speed. Um, I, I believe personally that's a conversation that we need to have about what kinds of opportunities athletes in all sports have a right to take advantage of that. To me, if I'm the NFL players union, I'm asking for the right to have some kind of medicinally administered HGH because their injury load in that sport is 100%. The average career is only three years in the NFL. It is absurd, absurd ethically to deny them that. Now, whether the fighters want to do that, separate issue. We need to have that debate. But that's the debate we need to have. Doubling down over and over and over and over again on pure prohibition, it doesn't work and it's not ethically optimal. And it's not even the best thing for the sport. The best thing for the sport is for these guys to have less injury time by which they are compromised, assuming, of course, you're still testing for health and maintaining that health and safety is a paramount priority. I don't want to test for parts per trillion of clenbuterol. I want to test for health markers, both in the brain and in the internal organs and in the blood work. That, to me, is the best way to do it. Uh, okay. I'm not from Ireland, but I think that the reason St. Patty's Day is wrong is the fact that Catholic Satan is obviously St. Patrick and not St. Patty. Maybe the Irish have a different reason, but I expect it to be more about the recognition of the saint. I suppose, I suppose it could be, but at the same time, it's you know we do we do Christmas as Xmas. I mean, everyone here gets is super religious, so maybe, maybe I don't know. I'm not here to argue with it. I'll, I will comply. I will comply. That's really what it's supposed to be about. I'll comply. 
Uh, all right. Has Barbas been dethroned as Luke's mascot? The cat made the most of his time. I'm telling you, in the pecking order in this house, cat, two dogs. That cat will whoop up on them. Trust me. We, we literally, there was, it, was, it was freezing outside one night. We were down on the 8th Street area of D.C., which is not far from where I live. And, uh, I mean, it was, I mean, unbearably cold. And this cat was filthy, and you could tell it was sick. And so we picked it up off the street, and we took it to the vet the next day. And, of course, it was, like, malnourished and everything. But it turns out, we take a cat from the street, while he is quite loving, ha, when it comes to pecking order with these two idiots, he gives them the beat down on the regular. Uh, here we go. Oh, God. Someone wants me to go into this a little bit later. I, I'm happy to do a little bit on a side podcast. Someone you've given no reasons. Well, the FBI has about arming teachers. So the FBI has done simulations about people who have actually little to no firearms experience and what happens in a series of stressful situations. Even ones who have been trained. So we're talking law enforcement officers for three to six years. A lot of them um, clam up. A lot of them don't know what to do. A lot of them can have any number of firearm accidents. The FBI has run through these simulations and the answer is never good. It's why you have SWAT teams to deal with these kinds of things because it takes that level of training specificity with that kind of tenure time to be able to deal with situations like that. To, to think you're going to take a school teacher, even one with military experience, and have them do sidearm training to be prepared for these kinds of situations is so laughably stupid. It doesn't, it barely deserves comment. Here are a number of situations that's going to happen. You're going to have accidental discharges. You're going to have storage issues. You're going to have uh, weapons being stolen from them. You're going to have them used at situations like we had with Trayvon Martin, whatever you want to make of that situation, the stand your ground scenario. They're not going to be pulled for active shooters. They're going to be pulled for um, disruptive students. The notion that you're going to have a situation where two students fighting and, a, and an administrator can't separate it and now you're going to introduce a gun to that situation and that's going to make that safer is so moronic it is so moronic so the other opportunity you have now have is to just militarize and uh, add a significant police presence to the schools you could add metal detectors and everything else but you're now just upping the ante rather than sort of addressing what the real problem is which is we should not have this kind of access to this many firearms in this particular amount of situations right it's really what this is it comes down to introducing firearms to a school does not lessen the problem. It only exacerbates the issue. There's a ton of research to suggest that when you have uh, firearms in the home, obviously that is going to dramatically increase the amount of potential uh, uh, firearms accidents that happen in the home. Just accidents, not any other crimes, just accidents. It happens in the home, right? I mean, the enormous amount of research. There was research recently done that showed that when a town has NRA conventions, that the number of accidental gun crimes plummets in those cities. Right. So now what you're going to tell me is a, a, a teacher who feels threatened by an unruly student uh, is not going to pull that because they didn't feel threatened. And you want to do that. It is the dumbest idea. We can debate tax cuts. We can debate tariffs. We can debate uh, other notions of gun control or not. Right. We can debate that. We can debate voting age. We can debate abortion. We can debate all those things. There's so many issues where both sides have really good arguments. This is one where even if you are a gun advocate, this is the dumbest fucking idea imaginable. Please do not die on this hill if you consider yourself to be somebody who favors a strong Second Amendment. I'm OK with that. I really am. I swear to God, I am just not this. This is so moronic.
Could you add your cat as a co-host from now on? Maybe. Okay, here we go. Here goes the SJW posturing and virtue signaling. Here is somebody who has hostility to marginalized populations. Anybody who ever uses the the, 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 the abbreviation SJW, this is somebody, this is the kind of idiot who tucks their ears into their hat and doesn't read books. Nobody who has serious discussions about real ideas ever introduces that term into conversation in anything other than an uh, ironic context. So way to out yourself, buddy. What is the likelihood that Connor will be at 223 to support Lobov? Hi. If Musasi defeats Carvalho, who is the most dangerous challenge to that belt? Musasi defeats Carvalho. Shlomenko? I don't know. Uh, Andraj versus Shevchenko. If they were about to fight, who do you think would win and how? I would think Shevchenko could stick and move and defend the takedown enough, but remember, Andraj was strong at bantamweight. She is a force of nature at women's strawweight. Is that a toaster oven and panini maker in the back of you? This is my basement. I don't really come down here very often. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. What is a greater championship win, in your opinion? GSP defeating Bisping after a four-year retirement or Cruz edging out TJ after a long injury plagued layoff? Ooh, that's a good one. Um, a greater championship win. Probably the GSP one because he finished him and it was a longer time, but just barely because Cruz being injured all that time Having to come back from all, I mean, and to an extent, GSP was injured there too. Remember, he tore his ACL in that space as well. But, um, but just the fact that it was very, very close and not as much time makes it a little bit harder to pick. Which is better, MMA in a ring or MMA in a cage? In terms of a viewer, MMA in a ring. Mike Goldberg or face the pain? Oof. Mike Goldberg. Uh, old world wine versus new world wines. Ooh, I'm going to go old world, old world. I'm going to throw a little uh, wrench in the plan there. Beverly Hills Cop or Die Hard? Oof. I'm going to go Die Hard. I'm going to go Die Hard, but I will say Beverly Hills Cop. Underrated movie. Guard passing or guard playing, what do you prefer? Passing. Also, will you be competing at the DC Open? Oh, my God. I haven't trained jujitsu in months. No. I'm out here building studios, folks. I'm not training jiu-jitsu. No. God, no. Uh, favorite gi? Anything Adidas makes. The Adidas line of gis. If you're in the market for a gi. Now, I haven't worn mine in months. But, uh, yeah, do that. Do you think the winner of Josh, excuse me, John Salter versus Lovato Jr. poses any threat to Musasi? Yes. Yes, I do. I actually do think that. Mm -hmm. Luke, realistically, who would you like to see Aldo fight next? Elkins or Stevens? Stevens. I like that fight. It's a tough fight for both guys, but Stevens has been knocking on the door for a title shot, and I really want to see what he can do against somebody who everyone's saying, well, he's only lost to Frankie Edgar. I mean, Conor McGregor, but I'm oh, sorry. He's only lost to Conor McGregor. Um, you know, Frankie Edgar couldn't get past him. He has this sort of like dominant position. Maybe that's true, but I like to see Stevens test it. Is this really a, uh, and Max Holloway, of course, but my point is the guys who've held the belts are the only ones who sort of 
past him. This notion of is this a more pronounced decline or was it just that, you know, yes, his time passed, but he's still a very viable contender at featherweight. I would like to see that. Uh, if Notorious Newell gets the call up, who would you like to see him face and how far do you think that he can go in the lightweight division? How far he can go, I don't know. Who would like to see him face? Anybody from the Ultimate Fighter at first, and we'll see how he goes from there. Someone in the top 40, 35 space, you know? Can we please stop this Askren nonsense? He hasn't beaten anyone good since 2012. Well, he tried to get a release uh, according to the UFC's own wishes, and then they didn't sign him, so I'm not sure whose fault that is. I don't know why people are so down on Ben Askren. Look, am I convinced that he is the best welterweight in the world? I don't know that. Um, am I convinced that uh, he might be overrated? Maybe. I mean, there's, there's a possibility that this is all true. There's not a lot of body of evidence that uh, suggests in his late career anyway that he was, you know, he beat up on these guys, but what does that tell you? But to me, again, here's what I'm getting from this. I see a lot of hostility about his political views, which I don't share, but I don't think is relevant to a discussion about how good he is. So let's put that aside for just a second. And now the other part is that, yes, years ago, he was smashing people like Koreshkov worse than Shevchenko was beating Kachwera and rolling through Douglas Lima like it was not that much of a challenge. And not only that, the kinds of things he was doing back then have been adopted by other fighters as best practices now. In other words... At that point, he was ahead of the game. So what does that tell me? It tells me that maybe he is totally overrated and not deserving of an opportunity. If that was the case, fine. Then have him fight somebody else in that division, see what he does against them first. If he can't beat them, then debate over. But my sense is, I don't know if he's better than St. Pierre, but I'm betting he's a lot better than people who are dismissing him are suggesting. I don't know that to be sure. I can't declare it to you. It's merely a hunch. We won't know until he fights. But introducing to me his political opinions, which I don't share, as evidence that he doesn't deserve. I mean, if you want to talk about like what the wider public would and wouldn't accept, I suppose. But about who we are, who he could or couldn't beat, not a relevant concern, not relevant to me at all. Uh, I, I I actually do think very highly of his abilities. I do think very highly of his game, and I do think very highly of his ability um, to potentially cause some problems for people in that UFC welterweight division. We don't know, but that's what we need to see. If you want to have him fight somebody first and see how that goes, I'm okay with that. But let's at least find out. Declaring that we know when I know we don't know, kind of a problem. Uh, did you consider getting a Note 8 because you chose the Pixel 2? Oh, excuse me. Did you consider getting the Note 8 before you chose a Pixel 2, because I know you loved your Note 5 or 6. Yes, I have the Pixel 2. Best phone I've ever had. The only thing is, I missed the stylus. I had the Galaxy Note 4 however long ago. That stylus is awesome. Google needs to come out with a phone, because this the integration of all the Google programs and then the way they do their low-light camera is just incredible. But that stylus is amazing. Being able to write on the screen is amazing. I really, 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 really miss that. And it's not enough to make me go back to Samsung because I don't want that Bixby bloatware. But I do think that um, if they, the best phone would be a Google Pixel variety to me with a with a uh, stylus pen. All right, so there you go. That is it. Number one. Thank you guys so much for watching. I am sorry about the background. I know it looks like Dookie. This is the last one. We are literally moving up to my third floor. Um, well, second floor, this is the basement. We're moving to my second floor tonight. 
That means the next live chat, and not only that, my UFC London post-fight special will be in my studio. This is the last one. Thank you guys so much for putting up with this. Now, the studio won't be fully 100% ready by the time I open it. It's going to take some time to get everything decorated and painted and everything else, but it will be a dedicated space. It will be mine. It will be, it will be, uh, it will be ready to go, at least for usability, come Saturday to say nothing of Monday's Monday Morning Analyst or Wednesday's next live chat. I have worked very hard on this. I've spent a ton of money on this, and I'm ready to get that process really kicked into high gear. So I really appreciate your patience. I cannot tell you how much it means to me. I'm excited about the future, and keep on the lookout for next Wednesday when we launch all these products all these t-shirts. I think you are going to be very, very, very happy and very surprised at how good these are. Um, I think we've really got something here. So with that being said, there's an MMA beat tomorrow. MMA fighting is going to have a ton of coverage of everything else going on in the world. Stay tuned for next Monday's Monday Morning Analyst and, of course, the live chat in a week from today. Until next time, thank you guys so much for watching. And from my basement, <laughs> stay frosty.